Oh my gosh, I'm very excited. Wow. Is there anybody that doesn't have a handout? Grab a handout at the little table back there. Jenny's going to go grab some, pass them out if you, if you don't have one. So last week I started this mini-series about the two sides of the cross. This is a new um, revelation to me. And one of the ways that God gives revelation is through anointed teachers. And I was doing one of my Karis Bible study courses, and this concept, this truth was presented. And I sat there in my study going, wow, 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 wow. And I just, I was just overwhelmed. I re-listened to part of it yesterday, and oh my goodness, this truth is so big. So th here's the gist. I'm going to put this in a, 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 a Cliff Notes version, and then I'm going to share a little bit more. The cross side of the grace is the once and for all gift that Jesus purchased for us through his death, his burial, and his resurrection. He purchased the fullness of our salvation and all that that contains. Our, um, that, that gift of the cross is called grace. It's the cross side of grace the cross side of grace. And we access it through faith. We access grace through faith. I taught on that quite a bit last week. I'll just touch on that again tonight. The resurrection side of the cross was purchased through the resurrection of Jesus. The resurrection side of grace empowers us to live the resurrected life. The cross side enables us to receive the fullness of salvation. And all that that contains, we just sang and praised God about that. The resurrection side of the cross empowers us to live out our resurrected life, manifesting Jesus wherever we go. So I'm going to talk more about that next week. But today we're really going to continue to talk about the cross side of grace. So a little review. The cross side of grace is God's amazing grace that is available to every human being. It's the potential for all, and it was purchased through the perfect and finished work of the cross of Jesus. The cross side of grace purchased our salvation in full once and for all. Now, it is the potential for all, but is only actual when we choose to believe and receive that Jesus died for us, that he was resurrected for us, that he is the son of the living God. When we believe in the fullness of Jesus, accept him and receive him as our Savior, that's when that gift of grace becomes our possession. I love to call it extravagant grace. I really looked for the best word I could find to describe God's grace. Awesome, amazing, extraordinary, wonderful. And then I came upon extravagant and I looked up what extravagant means. This is the definition. Excessive. Do you think God's grace is excessive? Exceeding the bounds of reason. Going beyond what is deserved or justifiable. His grace is undeserved. It's unmerited. It is a precious gift that is so excessive, so big, I even, I, I've even thought, and I know I've mentioned this before, that it's bigger than he needed to give us. It's more than was necessary for us to be reconciled unto him. Sin barrier had to be removed. But every other benefit that comes with God's grace is excessive. Healing. The fullness and the completeness of life that God came to give us. Rich and satisfying life. The ability to be reconciled to him, to our daddy, to come face to face with him at any moment, any time, every moment, every time of the day. His extravagant grace, it is so amazing. And through this grace, we are forgiven completely. Sin is remitted. Because we are forgiven, we are made righteous. We are in a, a, a new state of being. We are now righteous. Sin nature is completely gone. It's not a part of who we are anymore. We have a new nature. We are righteous. 
We have been set free. We just sang about that. We have been set free from the dominion and the power of darkness of the enemy. We've been transferred out of the darkness and into the light. We have been healed, preserved, prospered, and made whole by the cross side of the grace. So the cross side of the grace resulted in this potential for our vertical relationship with God, for us to be face-to-face -face with God. And we receive all of this, this whole beautiful package of extravagant grace through belief, through faith. We access grace through our faith. Now, the highest form of faith is rest. We talked about that last week. The highest form of faith is rest. And I put a comment or a, a, a statement at the top of your paper. I believe I put this on your paper. And the question is, how do you access this amazing gift of grace by your faith? And we're talking about healing because this is a healing class. How do you access the healing portion of God's extravagant grace through faith? Well, we do it by resting in knowing that what Jesus did is more than enough. We don't do it by, by being superhuman women and men of faith. We don't do it by declaring the word five times a day and praying and reading the Bible an hour a day, although all of that builds us up in a powerful, powerful way. But the Bible says we don't receive grace through our works. We receive grace through faith. And the highest form of faith is to rest in the finished work of Christ, is to rest in knowing that what Jesus did is more than enough. It's to rest in a place of just seeing Jesus taking those stripes on his back with such love for you and such love for me, carrying our sickness, carrying our pain, and saying, Jesus, you did it. It's more than enough. And I believe, at least for me, I need to really sit down, get quiet, and meditate on that. That's resting in his finished work. It's not your works of faith. It's his work that your faith rests in. I'm going to read a couple scriptures about the rest, just as a review. Hebrews 4, verses 9 and 10. <clears throat> So we conclude that there is a full and complete rest waiting for believers to experience. That's a promise. That rest that I'm talking about is available. It says so in the word. There is still today a full and complete rest waiting for believers to experience. As we enter into God's faith rest life, we cease from our own works just as God celebrates his finished works and rests in them. This is actually referring to the creation. When every day, for six days, Jesus created the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested. God says, just as I rested, there is a rest for you. There is a faith rest life. And in that faith rest life, we are to cease from our own works. We are to cease from, from the, the, the oh, I'm just seeing a hamster on a wheel. Run, 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 do, 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 do. I have to do enough to somehow get this precious gift of healing that Jesus died for. No, this scripture says no. We are to cease from being on that hamster wheel of works of faith. And sit back and rest, knowing that Jesus did the work for us. That rest that the scripture is talking about is not a rest from work. It's a rest in his finished work. That just changes everything for me. We're going to talk more about what our part is because we partner with God. We partner with God. He doesn't do everything without us. We certainly don't do everything without him. But we each have an important part to play. But our part is resting and believing that what he did is more than enough. Hebrews 9.11 goes on 
And it says, let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall short according to the same example of disobedience. So I want to go back real quick to the story of the Israelites in the wilderness. They didn't enter the rest. They didn't enter the promised land. Only two of that whole generation entered the promised land, Joshua and Caleb. Only the two that saw the promise and kept their eyes on the word and said, God, I don't understand it. I don't know how it's going to work, but you gave me the promise and I believe it. They kept their eyes on the promise and not on the problem. Everybody else in that whole generation saw the big, huge giants of, the, of, the, of Canaan, of the promised land. They saw themselves as grasshoppers and they were afraid. That's what the disobedience was. The disobedience was unbelief. And God uses that as an example for us to say, don't do that. Don't be in a position of unbelief. You have the promise. The scripture that I read last week, that beautiful scripture in, Ephesians, in Hebrews, um, I think it's Hebrews 4. Let me look. Yeah, Hebrews 4. If you go back to the beginning of chapter 4 of Hebrews, you can read this on your own again. But it, it tells about how when they left the wilderness, when they left the um, slavery and they're in the wilderness, they are, um, I just completely lost my train of thought. Okay, Holy Spirit, bring it back. When they were in the wilderness and they were in that place of, of, of um, waiting, they already had the promise. When they were in the wilderness, the promise had already been given to them. It had already been prepared. We already have the promise. It's already been prepared. Jesus paid for the promise when he was at Calvary. We have the good news. They had the good news. They didn't reach the promised land because they weren't resting in the finished work. They weren't resting in seeing that promise and believing it was for them. So God says for us to enter that rest, but... He says to be diligent to do it. Be diligent to enter that rest. Now that's where it gets a little bit confusing. That sounds like a contradiction. He's telling us to rest, but he's saying strive in another translation. It says strive to enter the rest or be diligent to enter that rest. So I'm going to share two critical pieces in our diligence to enter the rest. Here's the first one. It is so very important that we trust God completely, that we surrender continuously, and that we are dependent on him, not independent, but dependent on him. In this place of the, the, the hugeness of the problem, the hugeness of the diagnosis, the hugeness of the symptoms, the pain, whatever it is, our focus needs to be on trusting him, keeping our eyes on him, trusting him, surrendering constantly, letting go of control, surrendering, and being dependent on him. Because this is what happens. Remember, it's just, this is a partnership. Jesus' part is done. His work is completed. But when we, I'm going to quote a scripture right now, Proverbs 3, 5. God says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understandings. That means when you're leaning, God says, don't lean on your own understandings. If we're doing that, if we're leaning on our own understandings, we're trying to figure out the problem. We're reasoning out the problem. We're researching the problem. We're worrying about the problem. We're turning it over and over in our mind and in our uh, discussions and, and just putting our focus on the problem. And when we do that, it's as if God hasn't done enough. And his work isn't complete, so we have to add our works to his work. That's the opposite of trusting, surrendering, and depending on him. You're trying to step in and take control. That's when worry, fear frustration, discouragement, depression, and all of that stuff rises up in your soul. 
and that's very dangerous. So the first piece is trust, surrender, dependence. The second piece in entering that rest, and this is where we're really going to focus tonight. The second piece in entering that rest, and this is amazing, is to, to labor, to put our efforts in prayer and study and meditation on the Word of God. Why? Because that's when faith will be conceived and incubated. That's when the revelation of God will come alive in your heart. That's when the word will literally turn from a word in a book to the living word that changes everything. And we access God's grace through faith. But that faith is revelatory faith. That faith is the word coming alive. And that happens through praying the word through studying and meditating on the word. So that's going to be our focus tonight. Romans 12, verse 1 and 2. Verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. So the first scripture here is a lifelong surrender continuous surrender, day by day by day, moment by moment by moment surrender, where we say, God, I offer you all that I am as a living sacrifice. And every facet of your life, I remember when I started my journey, it was all about my healing. That's what I gave to God. That's what I gave him lordship over first. But he wants every part. He wants our work, our career, our parenting, our marriage, our relationships. Our, our gifts, our talents, our everything. A living sacrifice. I'll never forget my, my, one of my mentors, Pastor Tim's wife, Fran. She prayed this every day. I can just hear her praying, God, I give you, I offer you my life as a living sacrifice. She taught me to live day by day by day is offering in doing what she did, offering to God this day, this moment, right now, as a living sacrifice unto him. So that's what that first verse is talking about. And then it tells us how to live your life out as a sacrifice to God. The word says, don't be conformed to the world. Don't do things the world's way. Conform means to be pressed into the mold of the world. That reasoning it out thing, that worrying thing, that figuring it all out. God says, don't lean on your own understanding. Well, the world's really good at leaning on their own understanding. In fact, it's seen as you're not a very um, intellectual or smart person if you don't try to figure it all out and reason it all out and plan out the whole healing you know, plan. I got to do this, then I have to do this, then I have to do, do this. It takes up your life. It takes up your attention. Don't do it the world's way. Don't be conformed to the world. Instead, God has a better way. He says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The word transformed is the Greek word metamorpho. It literally means the same thing as metamorphosis, like a caterpillar changing into a butterfly or a tadpole changing into a frog. A completely different form. Change from one form to another. This Greek word, metamorpho, is used three times in the Bible. This is one of them. Another time is when Jesus is transfigured at the Mount of Transfiguration. So Jesus goes up on the mountain with his inner circle, Peter, James, and John. They go up the mountain, and while they're up there, the glory of the Lord transfigures Jesus. They see him completely covered with the glory of God, glowing. They are so awestruck, so much fear of the Lord that they fall back, they fall down. They're, they're, they're afraid they don't know what to do because the glory of the Lord so overpowers them as, the, as Jesus is covered, transfigured with the glory. That's the same word. And the third example 
is in 2 Corinthians 3.18, and I'm going to read this right now. All of us, as with unveiled face, because we continued to behold in the Word of God, as in a mirror, the glory of God, are constantly being transfigured into His very own image in ever-increasing splendor and, one from, and from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Oh, I love this word. This word is saying that as we behold in the Word of God His glory, as we behold the truth of the Word, as we behold the living Word, it says that we are, it's like a mirror. It's like a mirror. Sometimes I take this scripture, I open my Bible to this scripture, and I go in my bathroom. I have a great big mirror. I don't like to do this in front of people because you might feel kind of embarrassed, but I do this in privacy. And I take this word and I start meditating on it. And I look at myself in the mirror. And what I'm saying in my heart is, God, I want my reflection of you to be clear and pure. And as the, your word right here says, God, that when I behold your word, that I look more and more like you, that my image is clearer and clearer and clearer. And then it says, we are constantly transfigured into his very own image in ever-increasing splendor and from one degree of glory to another. So I think about Jesus being transfigured and the glory of God all over him. We have the same thing. God says, God says, we are transfigured as we behold his word. Now that brings me back to Romans 12. Can, can you please go back one screen? Because in this scripture, Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, it says that we are transformed by the renewing of our minds. That word renew means to remodel or renovate. Okay, we got some builders in the room. Phil, Kent, and there's probably a bunch more. And we know the wives. Jenny, you just went through this too, Jennifer. You just went through this when you remodeled your kitchen. Lisa, okay, that remodel phase. Before you get the beautiful finished product, there's a whole lot of mess. There's a whole lot of demolition that goes on before you can put in the new stuff. So if you're remodeling a kitchen, oh, that's the worst. Everything is torn apart. You don't have a kitchen for a long, long time because you have to demolish before you rebuild. That's what happens with the renewing of our mind. We are made new. We are changed from one form to another. We are transfigured from glory to glory to glory as our mind is renewed with the Word of God. Now, this process entails some mess. It entails some renovation. It entails getting rid of old thought patterns, old mindsets that are not true or that are partially true so that we can allow the, the truth to renew us and to make us new. This is so, so, so important. Most of us, probably all of us, have lies that we're believing, have mindsets that we have believed as long as we've lived or have grown into what we have, and they need to be exchanged for the truth. Here's an example, and it's a big one, and probably the majority of us have lived through this. I grew up not knowing the whole truth because it wasn't taught to me. I grew up not knowing it was God's will to heal. I grew up not knowing that Jesus paid the price in full for my healing. I didn't know it until I had a death sentence. So I had this truth, this, this it wasn't a truth. I had this partial truth that I had been believing that it wasn't always God's will to heal. That I was supposed to pray, God, if it be your will. Because that's how everybody prayed. That's how I heard leaders pray. That's how I heard the people in my church pray. That's how I heard them teach. I didn't know any different because I had never read the word. And I had never renewed my mind with the word. So I believed men because I didn't know the word. When Jenny told me that good news for the first time, it was really good news, but it still wasn't in my heart. My mind wasn't renewed. But I remember she gave me really good news, really good um, um, advice. She gave me a little book kind of like this, said, Cindy, 
read the scriptures a lot. Read them over and over. Read them out loud. And she said, read the Bible every day and pray. And I just started doing. I mean, I didn't know what. I didn't know how. I just started doing something. And this is what happened. I started to see in the word what Jenny had told me. I started to see in the healing scriptures what she had told me. I didn't understand it. But I started to see it in the word of God. And then I would go to Jenny with lots of questions. I didn't understand what I was reading. So I would go to Jenny and I'd say, I would show her the scripture. I'd say, help me to understand this. And she would go right from the word of God and teach me truth. Or if I had a question and I didn't know where it was in the word, she would go to the word to find the truth for me. And over time, the truth that it is God's will to heal, the truth that Jesus' stripes paid for my healing became more real to me than the cancer diagnosis, became more real to me than the symptoms and all the stuff that I was going through medically. I became transformed. I get to see you guys become transformed. Leah, I've watched you change from that caterpillar into a butterfly. I've seen you come in as a woman so consumed with fear that you could barely live or breathe. And fear left. I'm not saying that it doesn't attack because it does. I understand that. But that cloud of fear, that mindset of fear is no longer who you are. That's not you anymore. I get to witness that transformation. And it happens through renewing your mind with the truth of the word. Then the last sentence here says, you're transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what is the good and the acceptable and the perfect will of God. That word prove means to test, to examine, and to recognize as genuine after examination. That's what happened during that season with Jenny. Because I was reading the word, I was hearing it, I was testing it, I was examining it, and I came to know that it was genuine. That's the renewing of my mind. I came to know in the depth of my heart that it is genuine, and I was transformed from one form into another. Now this Bible, your Bible, my Bible, is made up, every word in here, of the inspired word of God the God-breathed word. Every word in here is called the Logos word. The Logos word of God is the written word of God. And it's living and it's powerful. But the word Logos is the same root word that our word logic comes from. And just the logical understanding of the word is not enough. There are many, many people that study the Bible and study it and study it and study it, but they're not transformed because they're growing in logical understanding, the logos. They're growing in logical understanding, but their mind hasn't been renewed. It's intellectual, but it's not heart-changing. Let me give you a, an example of that. There are many people out there who have gone to lots of Bible school, lots of um, seminary and maybe have several degrees after their name but their lives aren't transformed Jesus came to give us a rich and satisfying life Jesus's purpose is for us to live to have a, a life that is full and overflowing and abundant to to live without fear to live in a place of of trusting him and letting him take care of us to live in that place of rest knowing that what he did is more than enough. That's transformation. And there are many people out there with degrees after their, na their name that aren't transformed. That Logos word can become rhema. I want to talk about rhema. The rhema word is the word of God. It's still from the word, but it becomes revealed to your heart. It's not just words on a page. It is word, the word of God that has been revealed to your heart, that has been breathed life into, into your heart. 
There are a lot of ways that God's word can come alive in your heart. There's a lot of ways that it can move from logical understanding to hard understanding. I'm going to share a few of them. The first one and the most common one is directly from the Bible. As you're reading the Bible, it literally, God just, it's almost like he shines a light on it. It's almost like the font changes from 8 font to 20 font. And it's like, whoa, I never saw that before. I never even thought of that before. And God is just revealing something new. And it often happens in layers, like peeling an onion. Layer after layer, deeper and deeper and deeper revelation. That's one of the ways that word becomes rhema. Another way that word becomes rhema is um, through the anointed teaching of the word. I love it when the Holy Spirit does that. When the Holy Spirit is, is welcomed to come and have his way, and he literally speaks as someone's teaching the word, speaks directly to your heart, and it just is alive. It's like that message was written just for you or prepared just for you. That's another word that, that, another way that that word just comes alive in you. Another way is that still small voice of God. It doesn't necessarily need to even be written in the Bible. It does need to agree with the Bible. But many times God will whisper something in your heart, a word of affirmation, a word of encouragement, a word maybe of direction, a word of revelation, that he just speaks directly into your heart. And then another thing that I've seen and experienced many times is where he puts a bunch of things together. Like you might have a scripture in the word that just comes alive. And then the pastor will teach about the same thing. Or you'll hear it on the radio. Or there'll be a song. Or, or a devotional that comes on your email. Or it's like all this stuff comes from all over. And it's like, okay, God, I hear you. I hear you. That's God revealing his word to you. And the final way I want to share, there's many more than this. But the final way I want to share, his word can grow from logos into rhema through meditation, through meditation on his word. And that's what we're going to look at right now. So there's a chart on your paper that has two titles. The left side is study, the right side is meditation. And their study is good. I'm not saying study isn't good. But study by itself isn't what we need. We need a combination of prayer and study and meditation on the word. So study is endorsed in scripture one time. But meditation is endorsed 18 times. I'm going to read the one time that study is endorsed. This is 2 Timothy 2.15. Study and do your best to present yourself to God approved, a workman tested by trial who has no reason to be ashamed, accurately handling and skillfully teaching the word of truth. So that's a, a powerful word. God says study. Study to show yourself approved so that when you share the word, you are rightly dividing the word of truth. I take that very seriously. And when I prepare messages, I do study. I have all kinds of resources out. I have my computer open to lots of different um, resources, BibleGateway.com and, and Blue Letter Bible are the two that I use a lot. And, um, and, and I just let God lead. I mean, he does it. But I definitely do put in a lot of time preparing messages, studying them out. But meditation is where they come alive. Meditation is where it goes from here to here. Because if it wasn't here, it wouldn't come out of me and flow. There's the meditation part where it just literally is so deeply revealed to my heart that it just flows through me to you. My revelation won't help you unless it becomes your revelation. Now that being said, you've heard me many times say, I've, this is something that came to me through a book I read, Andrew Womack book, or Karis Bible College, but it has come in me, taken up um, uh, uh, root and, and grown deeper and deeper and deeper before I'm ready to give it to you. And the same thing is with you. Same thing with you. 
take these, these precious gems home, guys. The scripture's here. There's a lot of nuggets for you to read, for you to pray about, for you to talk to God about, so that the revelation can grow deeper and deeper in you. Listen to this scripture about meditation. There are 18 scriptures about meditation. I'm just going to read one. Psalm 1, verse 1 through 3. Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers. And I'm going to add, or who are conformed to the world. But instead, they delight in the law of the Lord or the word of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither, and they prosper in all they do. Wow. That is rich. Scripture says, meditate on the word day and night. Think about what God is, is talking to you about. Ponder it. Talk to him about it. A lot of times I wake up in the night, and that's, that's what goes through my head. I am thinking about what God is speaking or what, you know, what's been growing in me. And the, the God says that as we meditate on it, we are like trees planted and the river of life, the river of the word is feeding us and, and nourishing us. And it provides fruit. You see the fruit of that. And it says in the scripture, our leaves don't wither, but we are prosperous in all we do. That's good news. Meditating on the word results in fruit bearing it results, in prosper, it results in prospering. So I'm going to go back to the chart. Study is endorsed in Scripture one time, meditation 18 times. When I study, it's me in action. It's me studying. Um, there is a word out there called humanism. Humanism is a philosophy that rejects the supernatural and stresses humanity's capacity for self realization through reason we see that in the world we see that 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 um, it's almost a self um, righteousness or a pride where if I work 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 if I study 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 I can achieve through yourself you and you only meditation is you and God meditation is you partnering with God. Study is me using reason, relying on reason as basis for the truth or the, the, what I'm learning. But meditation is God granting me revelation through my heart and mind that are yielded to him. When we say, Holy Spirit, come, open the eyes of my heart. Holy Spirit, come. When I read the Bible, show me what you want me to see. When I'm studying to prepare a message, Holy Spirit, show me what you want me to share. So study gives us reasoned knowledge, but meditation gives us revelation knowledge. Remember Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in me with all your heart. Don't reason everything out. Don't rely on your own reasoning, your own research, your own understanding your own intellect get out of the way study results in wisdom from below earthly knowledge natural and even demonic there are a lot of um, spiritual studies out there that open the door to the demonic realm spiritualism it's very dangerous I'm not talking about biblical meditation. I'm talking about what the world calls spiritualism. And it opens the door to the enemy. Meditation results in wisdom from above because you're partnering with God. Wisdom from above. And in James 3.17, it says wisdom from above is pure and peaceable and gentle. Scripture often remains logos through study where we increase in knowledge and intellectual understanding, but you're not transformed by the renewing of your mind. But scripture becomes rhema through biblical meditation, and the result is trans being transformed and being made new. Okay? 
next little nugget I want to share with you. The enemy has taken something really good, which is meditation. That's what we're talking about. He's taken something really good, and he has twisted it into make it something really bad. I'm going to give you three examples. The first one is worry. Worry is meditation, but it's meditating on the negative. Worry is the enemy's deception. It's one of his tricks to divert us away from God and into fear. Leah, isn't that what you were living all of those years? That's what she was living, and she didn't know it. She was meditating, but she was meditating on the problem. And fear was the result. And even though she was a Christian woman, it was taking her away from the goodness of God and putting in her a place of fear. She wasn't resting in faith. She was in fear. We access this precious cross side of the grace, everything that salvation purchased, we access it through faith. But when we're worrying and, and completely, uh, um, you know, absorbed in worry, faith has no place. You're crowding it out with your worry. You can't access God's grace with fear. We access his grace with faith. So worry is one of the enemy's tactics. He's taken meditation and he's twisted it. And you know what? People think they're supposed to worry. Mothers think they're supposed to worry that if they don't worry, they're not a good mother. I remember when I first came to know Jesus and I read in the Bible that anything not of faith is sin. And a good teacher, it might have been Jenny, I'm not, I don't remember who taught me this, but they taught me that worrying is sin. And that changed everything. Because I was one of those mothers who thought if I didn't worry, I wasn't a good mother. I stopped worrying. I started praying, putting my faith in God to take care of those things that, you know, I should, that I thought I should be worrying about. Instead of worrying, I put my trust in God. That's the first twist. Here's the second twist. Spiritualism. Spiritual meditation. It's New Age. It's based on Eastern religions. It is very, very dangerous. And it is huge in the world right now. Meditation. What it entails is emptying your mind. In, but biblical meditation is filling your heart and mind with God and with his word, with envisioning him and his word. We're going to talk more about that in a minute. But spiritual meditation in the world is emptying your mind. And you are literally giving your mind an open door for the enemy to come in and have his way. It is opening the door to the occult. Spiritual meditation is very, very dangerous. I am going to be very bold, and I'm going to tell you one place where it's running rampant. Yoga. And yoga is very popular. It is very good stretching for your body. I'm not saying it isn't. But the, the, the even Christian yoga. Yes, they're calling it Christian yoga. But yoga is founded upon Buddhism. I will not have anything to do with yoga. I have an amazing stretching video. It's not yoga. There's no yoga attached to it, but stretching is good for your body, and I do stretch, but I refuse to do yoga. I, was, I, I told this story last night, and I'm almost embarrassed to tell it, but I'm going to because it, it just gives you another idea of how the enemy gets in. I am a lifetime member of Weight Watchers. I keep my weight. I know I'm very thin. But I, I, the reason is because when I gain five pounds, I, I'm careful to lose five pounds. That's just my lifestyle. So I've been a lifetime member, and I go once a month to check in. And I was there Monday. And they were talking about meditation. I'm going to Weight Watchers. There is, I have an app on my phone to track my, my food and stuff when I'm, when I'm doing that. And on, right in the middle of every page, it says meditation. And the, the leader is teaching on this this Weight Watcher app thing, how to do the meditation. Just, oh, you all need to do this. We should be stopping three or four times a day to do this meditation. And she says, have you heard it? Well, no, no, no. I'm not pushing that button that says meditation. <laughs> and so um, she says, well, l listen. And so she turned it on, and there's this meditation thing on a Weight Watchers app. What I'm saying is it's very big in the world. God says, don't be conformed to the world. Don't do things the world's way, but be transformed my way. 
So be cautious of spiritual meditation. It sounds religious. It sounds godly. It is not. It is very, very dangerous. Here's the third twist, and this one is so subtle. Another twist, twisted lie of the enemy is that we must, a legalistic lie, that we must confess healing scriptures over and over to get God to heal us. No. Now, confessing God's word is very powerful. We're going to talk a lot about that in a minute. But not a legalistic um, um, in a way that says, I have to do this. I have to, you know, I haven't done my scriptures three times today. Because that becomes works. We are not, we don't receive grace through works. We don't access healing. We don't access any part of God's extravagant grace through works. We access his grace through faith. Now, as we meditate on the word, our faith does get strengthened and grow. But it isn't a works. It is a, it is a, 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 a biblical meditation that grows our heart. But there is a very fine line there in our, our actions and what our, our um, motivation is for those actions. So I'm going to read Hebrews 11.1 1, and then we're going to get into this whole concept of how to meditate on God's word. So Hebrews 11.1 1 from the NLT says, or from the Amplified, says, now faith is the assurance, the title deed, the confirmation of things hoped for, divinely guaranteed. And faith is the evidence of things not seen. Faith is the conviction of their reality. Faith comprehends as fact what cannot be experienced by the physical senses. Now the reason I chose the Amplified is because that last line is talking about faith perceiving in your heart what you can't perceive with your senses. Because here we are humans and we have physical senses. We're spirit, soul, and body. The body part of us has physical senses. That's how God created us. And as human beings, we use our senses to understand, to, to, to learn, to perceive. But God says, that's not what faith does. Faith doesn't go by your senses. On your handout, you'll see that I have, what I'm going to share right now, is what I'm calling the senses of the heart. Because God says, don't look at the senses of your body. Meditation is looking at things in the spiritual realm, not in the physical realm, not in the natural realm. So we are going to look at the five senses of your heart. And as we do, allow this to come into, your, into you, it's going to start in your head, it's going to start in your intellect, but I, I pray right now, Father God, that it goes beyond our head, and that as we talk about the senses of our heart, that we see how this can apply to our, our journey, our journey of being transformed, of being transfigured from one degree of glory to another, to receive what you have for us, Father God to receive your healing in Jesus name so the first sense of the heart that I want to talk about are the ears of the heart the ears of the heart Proverbs 4:20 says my child pay attention to what I say listen carefully to my words so when you're reading the word we're talking about meditating right now on the word when you're reading the word God says, pay attention. God says, listen. Listen carefully. As readers, you know, I taught reading to first graders, and I'm now 61 years old. I've been reading my whole life, so have you. We can read without thinking. You can read, let it almost go in one ear out the other, just read, 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 read. God says, no, no, no. That's not... My best for you. My best is to pay attention, to incline your ear. So when you're reading the word, read slow. You don't have to read five chapters. I am not a proponent of reading the Bible in a year. 
I'm not saying that that's wrong. I have done that. I did it once. And it was a good experience. It was a different experience. It was good. But I've only done it once because I read the Bible slow. I savor it. God says, pay attention. I can't pay attention when I have to read five or six chapters a day. I, I just, it doesn't, it doesn't feed my soul the same way. God says, pay attention. And then, as you're reading, if there is a, one of those times when there is like a stirring in your heart, you might even not even understand what it is or why, but if your heart is like being nudged, stop. Read it again. Read it out loud. If, if there's a, a something that is pertaining to your need, God's probably showing it to you for that reason. Read it. Read it again. These are some of the things I do to study and to meditate when God does that. I open up BibleGateway.com. You might want to write that down if, you, if you're not familiar with that website. And I read it in several translations. Another thing I do is if there is a word that is either I don't understand it or I want to understand it more, I look it up in a dictionary. I have dictionary.com on my app on my phone. I, I, I have my phone with me when I'm, when I'm studying, so I use it for, in a good way. And I look up the meaning of the word. I have my journal right there. I write down the scripture reference. Sometimes I write down the whole scripture. I write down what God is, if I feel like he's speaking to me, I write it down. If I don't know, I say, God, what do you want me to know? I stop. I get quiet. I pray in the spirit. And if God shows me something, I write it down. That's being attentive. That's offering to God the ears of your heart. It's a beautiful piece of biblical meditation. The next sense are the eyes of your heart. Ephesians 1.18, and I pray that the eyes of my heart, the very center and the core of my being, may be enlightened, flooded with light by the Holy Spirit. Notice how I, put, I made that personal. I, it was, I'm praying for me. That's a great prayer to pray. We're talking about meditating on the word, praying, studying, and meditating on the word. So we can take a prayer like this and say, God, open the eyes of my heart to see what you would have me to see. This precious tool is what we've been talking about over the last few weeks. It's our imagination. The eyes of our heart, our imagination. God, let me see what you would have me to see. Let me perceive what you would have me to perceive. A couple weeks ago, we talked about positive imagination. We talked about um, consecrated imagination. And that applies right to what I'm talking about now. The word says, according to his word, that I am strong in him and in the power of his might. So see yourself strong as you're reading his word, as, you're, as his word is speaking to you, who you are in Christ. Start seeing yourself the way the word says you are. You might not feel strong. You might be exhausted. You might feel emotionally weak. You might feel spiritually weak. But according to the word, you're strong. So envision yourself strong. Envision yourself. I love Philippians 4.13. It says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And in the Amplified, it says, I am self-sufficient in his sufficiency. So envision yourself being strong because you have an amazing God that's upholding you and helping you and being your guide and your director and your, and your strength, your power, whatever it is you need. Envision it. The scripture says, by his stripes you were healed. See yourself healed. See that stripe on his back that bought your healing. Envision whatever it is God is putting in your imagination. Take time to envision it. We talked a couple weeks ago about reading the accounts of healing and putting yourself in the place of the, of the scripture. 
See yourself as that blind man who, who you can't see. You don't have any vision. And Jesus says, what do you want? And you say, that I might see, Lord. And he lays his hands on your eyes. And your vision is completely healed. And you can see. You can see your grandchildren. You can see your husband. You can see yourself in the mirror. Whatever. <laughs> but you envision yourself seeing. So you take the scripture and you envision it. Use the eyes of your heart. This takes time. That's why you don't need to read five chapters. <laughs> just take one scripture and let your heart be a part of it, not just your intellect. The next sense of the heart is the mind of your heart. Proverbs 4.21 says, don't lose sight of them. That's referring to the word. Don't lose sight of the word, of the promises. Let them penetrate deep into your heart. So throughout the day and the night, throughout the days and the weeks, and the months, and the years. Allow those words that God has given to you, those rhema words, those visions, allow them to grow deeper and deeper and deeper in you. That's what happened, and I've already told you my story, but that's what happened. When I, I started, I had those, those scriptures that were too good to be true, but I continued to say them out loud. And then something switched. Instead of being fairy tale, they started to be really good news. And then instead of just being really good news, they started to become real. And then instead of just being real, I became so on fire that you couldn't take them from me. Ponder. Take those rhema words. Let them stay alive. Don't put them aside and forget about them. Feed your heart. Ponder them. The next um, sense of the heart is the will of your heart. We have a will. God has created us with a free will. We need to use our will. We need to choose to fully receive, believe, and obey the promises that God has revealed to you. Make them personal. Declare those words, those truths out loud, personalizing them. And if God is giving you a direction, follow that direction. I'm going to share a piece of my testimony that was so amazing. Um, this, the, the word that God revealed to me was Psalm 27. I'm going to open my Bible right now. I don't remember the verse. I'll tell you in a minute because it's all marked up in my Bible. Verse 6. He gave me this word in 2010. I, I was healed in 2002. And in 2010, the doctor found a mass in my throat. You guys know my story. Most of you know it. And I went through a whole other season of them looking for cancer in my body. At the end of that six months or so, I had been standing on the word of God with all my heart, believing this word, believing that by his stripes I was healed. By the stripes of God, I am healed. By the stripes of God, Jesus, I'm going to stay healed. And I did. And so I did have a thyroid surgery, but I was well, strong, well, healthy, whole. I still am. But after I had that surgery, the enemy tried to steal my voice. And I teach. I love to teach the word. And I had no voice. And I still did teach because I refused not to, but I did it with a really weak voice. I did it with a voice that had no highs, no inflection. I did it with a voice that didn't have hardly any strength. And I couldn't sing at all. And I love to sing and praise God. So one day I was reading the word. It was very shortly after I had the surgery because the date in my Bible, I date rhema words. I highlight rhema words. I write stuff in my Bible all over the place. And on July the 12th, 2010, this is the scripture God gave me. And now shall my head be lifted up above my enemies round about me. In his tent I will offer sacrifices and shouting of joy. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. And when I read that word, it, was, it just came off the page. That's my word, God. 
He told me, he said, I, I'm, my head is lifted up above the enemy that's trying to steal my voice. And then it goes on and it says, I will sing. I will praise. I will shout. And so I took it as a, a, a word of faith. Yes, God, I will praise. I will sing. I will shout because my voice will completely be restored. But then I took action. I took my Bible into my bedroom. I closed the door. I put on the praise music loud, and I did it every day. And I shouted. I did what this scripture says, even though I couldn't shout. I did the best I could to shout to the Lord. I did the best I could to sing praises to the Lord, even though it sounded horrendous what was coming out of my mouth. That's why I put the music so loud. Lisa, do you remember the day, were you at my house that day when I had a, a ministry team meeting? And I tried, to, I mean, literally, you guys were praying over me for my voice to be restored, and I was trying to sing, and so, yeah, she heard me. It was really pitiful. Anyway, I did this day after day after day after day. I would go to my room, and I would praise and worship and shout and sing, even though what was coming out of here was really, really, really bad. But I have another word in my Bible, another word written, another sentence written, and it's dated February 2011. And this is what it says, complete restoration of my voice to teach and preach and sing praises unto God. Because my voice was completely restored. Yes, praise you, Jesus. The will of your heart to make a choice. When God gives you a rhema word, make it personal. Continue to keep it in front of you. If God gives you a direction, do it. He gave me a direction to do something, and I did it in faith. And God restored my voice. The promise came to pass. The fifth emotion, I'm sorry, the fifth sense of our heart is the emotion of our heart. These just grow. The, as you use the ears of your heart, the eyes of your heart, the mind of your heart, the will of your heart, something rises up in you. The emotions of your heart. There's a deep underlying emotion that is stirred, that is stirred as you gaze at the picture that God's word paints on the canvas of your heart. That word meditate is the, I, I think it's Hebrew, I think it's Old Testament, yeah, Old Testament. It's Hagah, H-A-G-A-H. -H. And one of the meanings of Hagah is the roar. That's what happens when it is so big and so huge inside of you that nothing's going to keep you quiet. There's a roar that rises up in you that you know, that you know, that you know, that you know that God's word is your word, that God's promise is real, that it is your present possession. You are accessing the grace of God. You are accessing the finished work of that promise. And it comes through meditation on the word of God. It comes through that becoming so real to you that nothing else matters. That roar just rises up in you. John 8, verses 31 and 32 then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, I'm a believer. I'm in that category. I'm not Jew, but I believe. If you abide in my word, if you abide, if you dwell permanently, if you come and make your home in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. The word know isn't a head thing. It's an intimate knowing through experience. Everything we've talked about today, all of this meditation puts you in that place of knowing the truth. And then the truth will set you free. This is often misquoted as the truth will set you free. No. The truth will do nothing sitting on the shelf. The truth will do nothing if it's just intellectual knowledge but when you know the truth you will be set free from whatever it is that's trying to hold you in bondage so as you pray and study and meditate on God's promises of healing 
Fear will be calmed and replaced with God's peace. His rhema word will come alive in your heart. The switch of faith will be turned on and the lie of the enemy will be canceled out. Your heart and your mind will be renovated and you will be completely transformed. You'll come to know and believe that God already healed you. You'll enter his rest knowing the work is finished and you will be positioned to receive that perfect will of God. In Jesus' name, I declare it. I stand right here believing with you and for you. And like the word that Jenny already gave, nothing is too hard for God. There is no problem too big. Come alive. Be awakened. Be reawakened. Be reawakened with his word. Oh, Father, we just praise you for this beautiful word, this beautiful truth, the power of biblical meditation, the power of renewing our mind and resting in your finished work. I pray, Father, right now for a season of rest, a season of rest in your word, in your promises. May they just come and stir us, build us up, grow us up, and position us to access your grace.